Welcome to the Big Beatles Sort Out. In the first series, I, author and musician Gary Abbott, ranked all the Beatles core catalogue releases with the help of my Beatles expert brother Paul. In series two, we worked our way through an assortment of added Beatles goodies, such as Live at the BBC, the anthology series and the movies. And in series three, we ranked all the post-Beatles singles released in the decade following their breakup. Season 4 is coming in 2024, but in the meantime we have a few specials lined up, so please join us as we sort out the Beatles. Welcome to, I don't know what to call this, Series 3, Episode 31, Series 3 no, Specials, spe- Episode special, 1. Special number 1. Special number 1, post-Season 3. And welcome number one. Number to one. Luap Toba. Ah, hello, yes. Mm. A clever link to our content. Yeah. I kind of stole it off your Twitter joke. Yeah, it's all right. Talking. So it's a weird one, isn't it? You go through like you sort of when you do that weird thing. It's like, oh, what's your name backwards? And yours has always been Wyrag. Yeah, and it's not anything's great except that nothing's as good as our mum's name being Teragram (laughs) (laughs) backwards. She's got the best backwards name. Talking of Twitter, though, Paul, don't forget that our listeners. Listeners, you can keep in touch with us at big underscore sort on Twitter and Instagram or by email to bigbeetlesortout at gmail.com. And do please drop us a review on whatever platform you're listening on if you can and like and share our posts. I don't know if we're going to move over to threads. We'll think about that at some point, uh, probably. If we hadn't had our social media, well, we wouldn't have known so many of the people we met on that brilliant weekend, the other weekend, down at the I Am The Egg Pod live show. Which is what, yeah, I was going to mention yeah to say well i'm just tying it in there thematically yeah well because this is the this is the good side of social media isn't it is that it is definitely it's how we've connected to a lot of you lovely people listening and who um you know a good a good few of you came and said hello to us i mean as we entered um holland park to go and watch we we we, we met with a with a fan and, and some people it was brilliant wasn't it yeah, yeah, it was. It was amazing to meet so many sort of people we only know by little round pictures on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, some people I've been talking to for, for quite a time and others who were, didn't even know listened and, and people being nice. But mainly it wasn't about us at all. It was about no. that fantastic sort of vibe of that whole day yeah. of the I Am The Egg Pod live show. Yes. And uh, the little t- bit of time afterwards we got to spend with a whole bunch of different people and and have great silly fun and just yeah very good stuff uh, it was a very enjoyable afternoon and well done to chris and the team i guess there's a team <laughs> chris and all the other yeah, yeah the guests and everyone who helped put it on and, and what a what a event and i've listened to the podcast back this is i am the egg pods live show in case we're not making any sense to anyone listening if it just just in case we kind of presume everyone knows don't we but you know there is a, i would say the Premium Beatles podcast out there. I am, I am the Egg Pod. Um, premium, premium guest based Beatles yes. podcast. I'd say. I yeah. think there's, there's there's various different things with different niches, but in terms of like the sort of pleasant chat aspect of Beatleness, which is a very important part of it, Chris has you know got it down to a T. He has indeed with a with a great selection of guests. Uh, he has, and he did a live show in in Holland Park in London. It was really good, really enjoyable, and really nice because I, I don't think. It was the first one, and um, it brought together a lot of people who bond over this amazing band and and legacy. So and bond, yeah. 
Um, and then we, we went to the pub, and that's always yeah, good. Yeah, we talked to Richard Vranch, yeah. <laughs> whose line is it anyway. He just happened to be there, nothing to do with the event we were at. Well, I don't know. I still don't know whether he was there, and then at the, I don't know. It's weird. Mm. But, uh, yeah, I just wasn't expecting that figure that I admired through the 90s on the TV. Yes. <laughs> as the, as yeah. the sort of quiet musician in the in the corner of whose line is it anyway. And it turns out that's the only job he's ever done as a musician because he is a comedy improviser, part of the comedy store players, It's uh, mm. as he was keen to point out. <laughs> yeah. But it was brilliant, wasn't it? Brilliant. Yeah, I saw, really some, was. I saw some good friends that I actually know as well who were all part of that and, and met some new people. Can't argue with that at all. Yes, some other lovely podcasters are there and... and um, and people of all sorts of creative persuasions, and um, yeah, it was it was really good. And then we topped it all off the next day with a trip to um, the, what's the exhibition called? Uh, Eye of the, the Eyes of the Storm. Eyes of the Storm. Eyes the of Paul the Storm. Paul McCartney. Yeah. Paul McCartney National Portrait Gallery exhibition. As I know as well, many of these people we're talking about did that on that weekend because it was the first full weekend of it opening. Uh, so it was good timing, and it was a good exhibition. Good way to spend yeah, it was an brilliant hour, exhibition. About an hour or so, I think. We kind of yeah. got, got out of it and um, uh, well curated, nicely put up, nicely put together. Only oh, yeah, they were nicely put up. You used blue yeah, tack they, and everything. They they were all level. I was checking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that no. was weird, wasn't it? Every time you got your little spirit level out on your phone and just kept balancing it on the pictures. Yeah. yeah. So this is a good exhibition. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it was like the early uh, 63, 64, 62, 63. Mm. 63, 64. 63, 64. That kind of period, so I imagine there's going to be some more, unless he just threw his camera out a window uh, in '64 and never picked one up again. But you, yeah, you never know. Mind you, I suppose there won't be as much towards the end because of it's uh, it's, and... it's interesting how they selected it. So the, the, the idea being that they discovered these photos and negatives and and whatever, uh, and it covers that very very important period for the band. Uh, you know, moving from national success to international success, to worldwide success, if that makes sense, how I'd explained it there. Hmm. And so it's a good selection from that. So whether there's another set of photos that would cover such a interesting period, maybe the end of touring, the start of Pepper, I don't know, maybe stop taking yeah. photos, like you say, you just don't know. Well, maybe that's photos. all being covered elsewhere. Yeah, I think there's something to be done. So like the image we've got of them recording kind of... Um, get back now and and um, bits of um well you know let it be and bits of abbey road and those settings it, i've seen some photos and things from sessions they did for things like pepper and but i don't get that that real sense of it yet i've been quite interesting to see it all them put together but not you know if there's new ones but if he wasn't t- taking photos by that point it'll just be the official photos we know about anyway i guess well, by that point, well, by the later years, anyway, you get people like Linda turning up, yeah. who are a very, very good rock photographer. Absolutely. Um, and if you're recording, it's quite hard to also spend your time filming or taking pictures as well. But it's interesting. Yeah, there probably is more. It's just, I suspect the joy of the discovery of these photos in his archive was what triggered it to start with. Mm. But who knows, maybe some of his archive materials will be going into a revamped anthology, which might be the next Big Beatles release. We don't know. Is, was, is that... Just like people putting things together in their heads, or is that being actually... Well, it's this idea of them finishing off another song, another one of John's songs, probably now and then the one that was mooted for Anthology 3 originally and then was vetoed by George, Mm. Um, which I'm excited about as a concept because I think... I want to hear it. it. 
you know, everyone seems very positive about it, in, officially speaking, anyway. Mm. And why would they do that? Probably not just to, I mean, and they've sort of made the statement that it'd be the last ever Beatles song, new thing. Yeah. So it's there's a lot riding on it, whether you think it's a good or a bad idea to do this, you know, adding voices type thing. But it, by which I mean overdubbing, not any of that AI misunderstanding. Yeah. And so who, who knows? Who knows? But yeah, it suggests like it's pointing towards the anthology getting a revamped release in. Oh, so like the old anthology format. with more bits in it. Yeah, probably. Oh, okay. I'd have thought. All right. Yeah, not a whole Who host knows? of stuff that they that they extra stuff that we don't know about. No. But there must be out thousands of hours of stuff that they just they, they they've gone. We can't possibly put everything out. I mean, it's like with the get back stuff, isn't there? We know there's just so much, so many more hours of footage. Yeah, but it's one of those things though. It's sort of like with get back. You know, people would have said, "Oh, they're really scraping the barrel if they're going to be showing that extra footage." And we know that they weren't. You know, it's fascinating and, mm. and enlightening and and interesting to see. So, you know, my feeling about it is always more Beatles is good Beatles. Beatles, please. Beatles, please is the motto. Yeah. So, I think that covers Beatles chat. Doesn't it? We've talked about. Um, Let's hope they also revamp and uh, restore into 4K the uh, thing that we're going to talk about today. Oh yes, well that's it. I mean, we should really explain why we're doing a special. I mean, oh, should I do it on this Beatles day? Well, go on then. Let's make people wait even longer. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll be very quick. Okay. Uh, so this is coming out on the 17th of July. I've chosen the 17th of July, 1968. Because it's relevant to what we're talking about in that it is the world premiere of Yellow Submarine at the London Pavilion Cinema in Piccadilly Circus, London, England. Mm. And yes, that's relevant because Ringo features heavily in Yellow Submarine. Yellow Submarine features heavily in Ringo's sort of story, his star, as it were. His, you know, his, what's the word? Ringo ambience. (laughs) (laughs) Ringo sphere. lost for the... Yeah, I'm lost for the Ringo word that I'm looking for. Um, but yeah, so 17th of July, 1968, world premiere of Yellow Submarine. Mm-hmm. Onwards. Is, is that it? That's all you yep. want to say about it? Yeah. That's all I'm saying. So, yeah, because it's very Ringo. It's not that we're doing Yellow Submarine. Obviously, we've done that, been there, all that stuff. But it is very, very Ringo-y. It's about as Ringo-y, 70s Ringo as you can get, isn't it? Because it is the 1978 TV special... Ringo, I guess it's just called Ringo's TV special, isn't it? What is it? It's called Ringo. 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 With a little help from his friends. So that's what we're here to talk about today. Um, an artifact I knew nothing of, its existence, until you mentioned it as a possible thing to look at. And how I now know about it, I do yeah. now know... That it exists. <laughs> yeah, you know it exists. You've seen it. I've seen it. Uh, I've absorbed that, it. When I'm, yeah, when I made that reference to restoring to 4K, what I will say is yeah. the only version that's available to watch is two or three different uploads to YouTube, hmm. all of which are slightly different in terms of quality and, in fact, length. And completeness, yeah. Yeah, and so frustratingly, a lot of what we're saying here is based on seeing it in that like that. Yeah, and it, I think it is one of these things that would stand actually coming out in a nice clean version because you can actually see there's some outtakes you can also see on oh, YouTube and the that. like, 
and they are in sort of video quality. They're a bit less yeah. recorded off the TV type quality because they're obviously sourced from earlier tapes. Right. Um, and that makes it, you know, for interesting viewing as well to think, oh, it would have looked like that at least. Yeah. So it should be restorable. It would be nice to see see it, you know, because it's a very interesting artifact. Yeah, we'll get into it. We'll, what we'll do is we'll we'll talk through it a bit, um, bit kind of bit by bit. It's not very long. We're not going to do a real time talk through. We'll just talk about what what it, what happens in it. Um, can you tell us a bit before we start then, Paul, about how, what, where, why, when, when, when? Yes, I shall do my best. So, this TV special for Ringo comes at a very interesting point in his career. So it's broadcast in the U- US on NBC on the 26th of April 1978. It's not shown in the UK until the 2nd of January 1983. Really? I'm surprised it was shown at all. Not in a, not like because it's just because it's very very American. Yeah, 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 it is. And it's it's designed as well as a promotional tool. Mm. So what we know from Ringo's, from going through Ringo's solo singles is that by the time we've got past um, about halfway through the 70s, let's say, he gets into a string of does not chart. Certainly in the UK, I think he had, you know, some of these singles are slightly different in, in America, but basically the stuff off, you know, Ringo's Rotogravure, Ringo the Fourth, um, Ringo, is all stuff that just career slides badly you know we said we liked some of the disco ringo stuff but people didn't at the time and um, some of it (laughs) yeah some of it some of it um but after he's dumped by atlantic records in america Hmm. a company called portrait pick him up okay this is all still on polydor in the uk but portrait pick him up in america and he does an album called bad boy yeah and so essentially this TV special accompanies the release of Bad Boy and that's kind of what it's there for. And so I've got from Billboard magazine, um, I have a huge article, so I can't go through all of it, but it does talk a little bit about the the planning that goes into it. So it's a, from March 18th, 1978, Billboard magazine's radio TV programming page. Ringo Starr's TV special, truly special event, NBC musical, two years in the planning. And I could go through it, and, but what's interesting is that he keeps oh, sorry, talking... Sorry, sorry, do you say two years in the planning? Yes. Okay. I know, I know, I know. That's like feature <laughs> films sort of stuff. Right. <laughs> um, but it's two years in the planning, as in Ringo uh, agreeing to do it and... Okay them starting to do it, then something happening. And, well, it's interesting. I don't think they spent two years writing it. They certainly didn't. I I can tell you something about this. Uh, So um, let me find the little quote. So I've got this big, like I say, this big page full of text on it. I don't want to go. So the ideas just weren't working at one point, Ringo was saying to them in this interview. So he flew off to England to spend five days with his children over Christmas, agreeing before departure to give DIR another chance when he returned. So this is one of the companies that's putting it together. The script was written by Israel following a week of laughing, shouting, yelling and screaming with star Meyerowitz and company in Canada to develop the original synopsis. Um, So it was one of these probably written in a week Mm. um, or just after a week. 
it's based on this, uh, you know, a pre-established story that everyone really knows really well, which is The Prince and the Pauper. Mm. Especially you all know in America because Mark Twain wrote this, the book. Uh, and he's selected a bunch of songs from his career and stuff like that. And he's got a, a band together who are the people playing on Bad Boy. So it's relevant to his sort of potential future plans. And Ringo's talking in this about like trying to do stuff without it sort of mi- being too much like miming. Obviously, there is some miming in it, but there is actually some live playing in it as well, mm. which is uh, which is great. Um, Ringo talking about he explains that on one 14 hour shooting day, about 10 p.m., he couldn't figure out which person he was supposed to be at that time. In fact, neither could our director, Jeff Margolis or the makeup man or the script person. Everyone was asking, who is he now? We had a lot of laughs with it. Um <laughs> Yeah. So it's it's very interesting that it took quite so long, but part of that is literally because it needed backers financially. It needed backers in the sort of programming departments as well. Like <laughs> it's it is very strange that the actual finished product is the tip of an iceberg really from the sound yeah. of it. Which, which it feels a bit, like I said, hard with modern watching it on YouTube. It feels a bit throwaway in in many ways to think that's the product of two years of careful negotiation and planning, and yeah. that's what come out. I mean, you know, we'll talk why I say we're saying, saying that more in detail as we go through it. But it's not it's not a great big cinema feature film, is it? It's it's a forty five minute kind of slapstick yeah it's, it's just a romp. celebrity it's a celebrity special but Ringo yeah. basically said I didn't want to do that thing where it's just oh hi I'm Ringo and I'm in my house oh who's that at the door why it's Julie Andrews you know yeah, sort yeah. of thing he didn't want to do that so they have to they come up with this thing that apparently according to this article in Billboard from February 1978 cost half a million dollars to make right um, now I don't know if that seems a lot or, or not very much for what it ends up being hmm but because they're out on location, they're not doing a sort of studio set-based thing with just like one band. They've got all sorts going on. In fact, the the live set's quite um, extravagant, really. At the end, yeah. it's like yeah. So DIR Broadcasting, um, it's, it was their first foray into television, the radio broadcaster. But it's like it's not only producing the special called Simply Ringo, but it's also ringing along the sponsors: Craig Car Stereo, Pepsi yes. Cola, and Datsun. Uh, the whole project started with the sponsors, says Bob Myrovitz, the president of DIR. <laughs> it's like, well, that sounds great. That's always a great place to start, isn't it? A company yeah. saying, look, can we have a big glossy showbiz special? We don't care who it is. As long as we could, yeah, as long as Craig Stereos gets to have a big mention at the beginning. But then that's yeah. that's kind of the story of commercial television, isn't it, in America? You know, yeah. everything was a, a vehicle for the toothpaste, <laughs> you know, the toothpaste adverts. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, yeah. And... Uh, so it, it's interesting, and then but they get quite an interesting cast, and it's like I say, it's in a very transi- transitional sort of period for Ringo. You know, he's is about to enter. I don't want to say the doldrums because I don't think that's the right way to explain it. He's got a lot going on. You know, the year after this, I think he has severe surgery. He has to have a lot of like stomach intestines removed and stuff like that. You know, so his right. his famed sickliness from being a child is an ongoing thing which is why it's so amazing he's just turned 83 yeah you know a couple of, like last week or whatever it was when we record in this and he looks so good on it happy birthday um, ringo yeah happy birthday ring and it's yeah it's an interesting thing because he'd not been seen much on telly at this point for someone who is so mr showbiz 
it's yeah it's the thing to keep in your mind all the way through watching this is we're talking this is 1978 yes isn't it? it you know i'm trying to think the fantastic year for babies <laughs> I mean, eight, me oh i see I was wondering yeah. why you say that. I just thought it was a reference I didn't understand. It's <laughs> because of you. <laughs> no, um, I am the I'm the fantastic baby from that year. But were you separated? Is there a is there a is there a is there a, a, a Lua Lua October? October yeah, <laughs> who's with a slightly different accent? Yeah. I, and which one would you be? Would you be, you know? By well, I don't. I'm definitely the pauper, not the prince. Oh. Okay. Well, let's go into it a bit. I mean, you spoke about the first opening of it, which is the intro with the um, brought to you by Datsun and Craig Stereos, which is, which is great. But we go from there then into a another familiar face, don't we? Bringing us opening the whole thing, is it Mr. Harrison? Yes, and one of the first things he says is, it, is a, a, a Ruttles line, <laughs> yeah, a Ruttles reference. I think it's, I think it was the trousers. I think is what which is very very. Very, very George, um, and is partly because the Ruttles, I think it was also on NBC, was out only in March of 1978. Really? So literally the month before this. We now join the George Harrison press conference already in progress. That's a good question. Uh, I think it was the trousers. Uh, but let's stay with the purpose of this press conference. Gosh. And the Ruttles did terribly in the ratings, did it? like really badly in America. Um, and uh, I don't but, think but, it helped the cause of this particularly. Would, would George have known that at the time of filming this? He probably wouldn't, would he? he would have. I don't know. I don't he would possibly he, not. Yeah, because um, he just loved the Ruttles and that line, so he got to he got to use be, it less than film, a month later. I mean, in retrospect, yes, you know, it's a different kettle of fish. Yeah. So so yeah, that was interesting. I thought I'd. I'd spotted that. I thought, well, that's, that's not a coincidence, is it? Um, so we have George doing a press conference um, to unseen kind of uh, journalists, giving kind of giving the backstory. And I, I think the setup is that they're all asking if Ringo's going to be around for his concert. He's got a live show coming up, and there's kind yeah. of concern whether he'll make it because last time George um, spoke to him on the phone, he said he was being chased by the police, and they said, "Why is he being chased?" He said, "Well, a fireman wouldn't chase you, would he?" Which is a bit with the first of many gags. Yeah, it's the first of many gags that I mean, bless Not, George, yeah. bless George, it doesn't land. No, uh, he doesn't quite get the timing right, or they don't quite get the edit right, and it, so it, you know, it's it's very good line. Uh, it's a good funny line, but it doesn't quite land, is and it, that's the case with a bit fair bit of George's stuff. Yeah, there's a few. Yeah, it's it's, it's hit and miss when it comes to timing. Um, well, gags in this, but they they. They don't half pack him in, so that's yeah. that's one gag count I, I noticed. Um, so after he's kind of he he, he, um, he talks about there being two twins, you know, like you said, the setup of the one going off to a. They're both born in England to different parents, but they're identical. That's what they say, doesn't it? But one goes off to America, and one stays in Liverpool, and we know who that one is. Um, and then we get a bit of we get our first song. So like I say this is a vehicle for some songs, old and new, isn't it? Yeah, and we get "I'm the Greatest," is it? Yeah, "I'm the Greatest" is the is the first one used to illustrate Ringo's fantastic rock star lifestyle. You know, he's in a car with a load of girls, so many girls, he you know he can barely move, and if he wants to light a cigarette, another girl has to run up alongside the car, <laughs> lean in through the window while it's moving and light it. 
One of the infants was taken to America, the other became quite well known in certain circles. The fame and fortune did little to make him happy. Yeah. Um, and it so, takes yeah. him all the way from the car out to kind of meeting people on his way into a studio to kind of... It moves quite neatly, I, I found. The transitions move quite neatly. So mm, he, yeah. he transitions him out of that music video into a studio where he, he starts laying down drums and vocals to the track that's been playing over the top. You know, they sync yeah. that quite nicely. Um, but, diegetic, non-diegetic, transitional. Are you lost on me? Uh, I, it's the difference between music that is in a film that you're that the people in the film can't hear to music that's in the film that ah, people in the film can hear. Oh, I see. Well, it's, so, yes, yeah. Yeah. so a we lot, have a transition between the two. Is the diegetic the the one you can't hear? Non, no, non-diegetic. Yeah, diegetic's in the scene. Yes, so there's a lot of, all the way through in the background, they're kind of like, there's a near constant background track when there's not actual music, which is just Ringo's, you know, various Ringo tracks, isn't it? But anyway, we go from the Ringo, um, the real Ringo, kind of doing his uh, Your opening, actual Ringo. To, to your other Ringo, also known as... Ognir Rats. Ognir Rats. The imaginatively named Ognir Rats. Purveyor of maps. Um, maps to the stars' homes. Do you see what was on the flip side of his? So he's wearing one of those sandwich boards. Yeah. It says maps to the stars' homes. Do you see what it says on the flip side of the board? Maps to regular people's homes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is a good, that is a good gag. I only noticed yeah. that at the end. That, that I noticed that at the end bit, which we'll get to, obviously. But, um... Yeah, so he's standing around. So I don't know if the reason they say they were both born in the UK and then separated even though they're different parents is that he hasn't really done an American accent for Ogneer, has he? He's kind of no done a softer, it's... more miserable Ringo accent. Yeah. So we've gone from we've gone from Ringo having a great time getting gold discs, recording in a studio, girls and all that stuff to the wistful life of Ogneer Rats. Who is being bullied by everyone around him? He yeah. can't even sell us a map to the stars' homes to some nuns in a Cadillac because um, yeah. they only want to visit the stars who've got religious names. Right. Yes. That's uh, the joke there. You that's see. the joke there. <laughs> yeah. I'm laughing more at myself because I was going to ask you what what the joke was because I was thinking it's all people with like saint in their names. All, yeah. Like that. yeah. Oh, because they're yeah Peter Paul and Mary and and where Peter Joey Paul Bishop. and Mary yeah yeah like. yeah now of course of course it is. <laughs> I can't believe that one went over my again eye. not perhaps particularly well sold. Yeah. You have to think. Is that what? Was that? Hang on. The best gag mm. at that point though is him trying to tie his laces still with his sign on because yeah. when Ringo gets to do some physical comedy in this he he does it really well. He's good at his slapstick and his kind of his, his comedy acting, and he's just there's a great scene, almost um, up there with the with the kind of your uh, Rowan Atkinsons and kind of a physical humour of him trying to tie his shoelaces with a sandwich board over him so he can't really reach them. Yeah, no, I thought that was good. Well, we know about Ringo is that we know he's the good acting Beetle. Yeah, I mean, some of the films he's making around this time, like his appearance in Sextet, are not necessarily going to be ones you'd hold up as like, here's the pinnacle of my career, and neither is this. But we know him particularly from Hard Day's Night, which this is 
not dissimilar to in many ways in the sense of like feeling trapped in your star lifestyle yeah so breaking out is part of the plot of this as much as it's hard days night and of course whereas Ringo gets to wander around feeling a bit lonely and sad thinking he's free mm. that features here in different aspects of both of the characters that he plays yeah so yeah, yeah so we get here, up, go on we get him bullied by some people in the van who call him a nerd yeah and he says i'm uh, not a nerd they shouldn't call me a nerd i'll show them and then he goes into song two which is a classic from the olden days act yeah. naturally someday you'll be sorry someday you'll be buying maps to my house i'm feeling down i'm feeling blue I do know that I care, but I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Which is really good to to hear a, a kind of a it's a reprise, obviously, isn't it? Because it's it's a new version of it. He's done for this, I'm guessing. Yeah, it's, it's no old style stuff. It's all the new band re-recording. So it's. Um, it's good, and when we get a little bit of him cycling around Hollywood, fantasizing about himself, being a star, being a star, yeah. until a bus runs his bike over. Yes, yeah, again, it's the yeah. second thing that's run over in in a space of two minutes. Yeah, because his sandwich board is run over by the jocks, isn't it? Um, yeah. the the thing that warps my head at this point is that because when when it, they did that, oh thought, man, it warped my head. It warps my head. It is that your you know, when did they do Act Naturally originally? Not, 60, well, it turns up on Help, four, which is 65. 65. So we're talking about 13, 14 years later. So they, yeah. like, it's a real nostalgia nod to something that was that I'm watching that was made before I was born. And they're having a like, remember back in the day when I did Act Naturally? You know, it's yeah. not like... It's and quite, he's still doing Act Naturally to this day. So it's, yeah. like I say, it's all part of building up the, the mythos of what a Ringo is. Yeah. So it's very strange. Anyway, Ognir then goes home after his fantasising and gets shook down by his abusive father. Who yes. is played by... He's played by Art Carney. Art Carney, not a name I recognise, but then so, that doesn't mean much. Yeah, well, he was... A lot of the names actually in this are people who are very famous on American TV, but not necessarily that famous in the UK, except that Art Carney, who had been on... The Honeymooners, which was a very successful sitcom. He wasn't the lead, but he was one of the key characters in it. He's in a film called A Guide for the Married Man in 1967. Mm. Uh, and he was in a film called Harry and Tonto, Harry and Tonto, for which he won an Oscar for Best Actor. Oh, so right, this okay. is an Oscar, Oscar winner, winner playing wow. Ringo's grumpy, abusive father. That's for my date with Marquine tonight. A date? A date? Don't make me laugh. This money goes for your room, your meal, and entertainment. Entertainment? And I did it my way. Who even will steal the money out of the mouth of his own child. (laughs) Yeah, literally out of his mouth. The thought of putting a piece of paper money in your mouth. Oh, (laughs) Yeah, and Ringo does some good cowering acting. Yeah. Oh, oh no. Whilst his dad's having a go at him. Um, 
and generally insults him and harasses him. And then the big gag for that whole scene, because a lot of the scenes in this are just one big, one big setup to gags, aren't they? Is that yeah. after he after he abuses him verbally, slightly physically, and steals his money from him, and then leaves him, he turns to the mirror and says. I'm lucky he was in a good mood tonight, which is because uh, <laughs> if he wasn't, he would have beat the out of me. Yeah. Um, anyway, we cut from there to Ringo, 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 real Ringo. You can see it's confusing, isn't it? Um, yeah. Oh, we no, weren't it's, even it's filming not... for 14 hours a day. Yeah. He's in the studio trying to take a break, basically. He's trying to take a break from his drumming. He's in the same studio we left him in. But his manager played by... His manager is played by... Um, or I've lost my thing. It's um, John Ritter. So His that's manager's the called I called Marty Flesh. Is the manager's name? Yeah, Marty Flesh. What would I know John Ritter from? Or is it just that there's another Ritter somewhere that I know? Are you thinking of John Rutter, the uh, composer? No. Um, he was in The Waltons. Mm. which has been shown over here but no, it's uh, not something we watched though was it uh, but his main claim to fame certainly at the time was he was one of the leads in the sitcom Three's Company yeah, which no. was a hugely successful sitcom at the time in America yeah uh, it's probably, it was probably shown over here I don't remember ever seeing it particularly I remember the Waltons that used to be on all the time especially oh. summer holidays I don't think we watched it I don't think we sat and watched it though did we the Waltons I have sat and watched it well you might have not, done but not like, wasn't a family thing like oh, it's the no Waltons. no 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 come quick mother father <laughs> no um so anyway he's playing the um the overbearing manager who won't let Ringo take a break because he's got a schedule to keep and like that's the, that's a whole drawn out scene it's not very tight this scene um there's a few it's the same gag over and over again he's he's allowed like fifteen minutes to eat if he's lucky but there's a then a gag about I'm having there's no time for laughing yeah. And then he says, I'm having a nervous breakdown. He's going, okay, that's fine. You've got 10 minutes, but they'll eat into your dinner break kind of thing. There's lots of back and forth about that, isn't there? Yeah. And like, I need some time alone. So he leaves the room and he comes back in a second later and says, there you go, you've had some alone time, et cetera, et cetera. Then we get um, another gag in capital letters about appearing on Tonight, Tomorrow and Tomorrow Tonight. Does that bit track? He's like, is that because there's a show called Tonight? And he's saying, you're yeah, on yeah, Tonight, yeah, Tomorrow. Yeah. But then it goes into, but uh, isn't it Tomorrow, Tonight? Or isn't... And they go on, yeah. and then he says, are we going to do Yesterday and Today? And that's an album gag, isn't it? Uh, album um, reference, Yesterday and Today? I think it's, well, I think it's just a reference to the song, really. I don't think it's the Yesterday and Today reference. I think it's, although I think you may have found another level to the script there that they didn't even know was in it, Gary. What, the Yesterday and Today reference? Because they do that, then they say, well, what about Yesterday? And he says, well, that's not one of mine, <laughs> to the camera, doesn't he? Yeah. That's, which is a, a gag that will occur again, not very long from now. Yeah, because um, he, he basically finds a way to leave the studio. Um, and he does a reference to Eleanor Rigby, a, another one that's not mine, or something he says. Yeah, he? yeah, he gets he gets out, well, he just leaves the studio, doesn't he, to get some fresh air. And he says, yeah, look and at he's all doing those bit, lonely people as he's looking around the street scene. Very much like the start of uh, Yellow Submarine, the Beatles bit of the Yellow Submarine, isn't it? Where it's Ringo in the lonely streets of Liverpool on yeah. his own. So at that point, when he he says that and says, that's another one that's not mine, and looks at the camera, I thought, is this just going to be Ringo ruefully not being able to sing a lot of the Beatles' core catalogue <laughs> kind of thing because they weren't his songs that he sang? And then I'm thinking, well, that naturally wasn't one of yours. You sang it, but, you know, 
That wasn't even one of the Beatles, was it? Was no, it? no, it was a cover. Yeah. Buck Owens. But um, so yeah, I was thinking, is that going to be is that going to be the joke throughout? But no, I think that's the main two times it happens, doesn't it? Yeah, and then yeah. and then this is where we get the the meeting of Ognir and Ringo because as he's looking outside at all these lonely people, one of them is Ognir Rat struggling to free a newspaper from a one of them weird American vending machines or something like that. Isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, so he and that's basically the setup happens here. He's like you because Ringo's like, what do average people do? You're an average person. What do average people do? And then it's like, hang on, haven't you noticed we look the same? Why don't we change places for a couple of hours? Yeah. Nothing could possibly go wrong. <laughs> yeah. And Ringo gets to do some intense one-on-one acting. Yeah. Kind of like being both people in the scene. They do that very well. There's oh, I will say that. I mean, the actual duel bits where they're both on screen, both yeah. the characters are both, very often is very, very good. There's only a couple of times when you go, that's a someone else. That's, that's a, a someone else's back. <laughs> don't know what happened <laughs> there. Sorry about that. A little Mario accent that even the Mario, yeah, mean, even the Mario film because I had carbonara do. for tea. Um, <laughs> sorry, I didn't mean to do that. That's someone else's back with a wig, you know. But most of the yeah. time, it's actually very good. Um, Isn't it strange how easily we can not, we can, we can recognise when someone isn't someone from the back of their head not yeah, being yeah. the back of their head. Or the set of the shoulders, Hobbits the back of the end. Yeah. And Tom Baker are so obviously not the actors who they are when it's someone else in a wig from the Hobbits back. Hobbits and Tom Baker. The Hobbits two. and Tom Baker, and, but not Ringo. Ringo's fine. because yeah, not I, too bad. I'd have barely noticed. Um, yes, he gets to um, set up the whole premise. They, well, they get to set up the whole premise. And how the, does he convince Ogner to take part in this? Well, he tells him that life is like one big trip in a yellow submarine. <laughs> Yay! And then looks at the camera and says, "There's going to be a less tortured route to get to a song," which you think, yeah, because it's a, it's a very, uh, it's it's yeah. it doesn't really make sense that. And then we go into, uh, well, we get into Yellow Submarine, but what version is it, Paul? Well, this is what I find absolutely fascinating. They do a big dance number, choreographed dance number with a load of different people, to Yellow Submarine in Pepperland. We're so different, I don't think you know. Ogna, we're all the same. We're all sailors in the same ship, traveling on life's rugged seas. We all live in a yellow submarine. There must be an easier way than this to get into a number. Ogna, as I was saying, listen, you know, we all come from the same place originally. from the B-side of the Yellow Submarine album, like the the George Martin orchestration thing, and they just stick on a load of vocals to sing along with the chorus at the end of it. After a a dance scene in the desert. Yeah, but as we know, Yellow Submarine in Pepperland is one of my absolute favourite bits of stuff to do with the Beatles, because it's so sort of like rousing. Yeah, Um, it's great. It's a good choice, but for... For Ringo's most famous song to only appear in him doing the bit of the chorus as part of a... And then a bit of weird dancing in the meantime. I don't know. It's well, very strange because there's just a load of dancers in the desert. It's quite hard because we do really suffer from the quality here in on YouTube. Of, yeah, of, you can't really tell what's going on. It's just a lot. But, but every now and then, Ognira and Ringo keep on wandering in and out of the scene and just kind of, like, you know, presenting the dancers kind of thing. Uh, it's got nothing to do with submarines or anything yellow. It's just, I don't know, it's basically like they're on a leftover set from a um, 
a Morgan and Wise sketch or a, or a two Ronnie <laughs> sketch. You know, it's like you know, a, yeah, a, a desert set, and um, and that just happens. <laughs> and like you say, they sing along at the end, but it's strange, and it makes me wonder. And I don't know if you'll know this. I think you know about the whole access to the songs he does sing, despite them being. He must have had to clear it with everyone else and stuff, or some someone else, mustn't he? Always. Well, it's a Lennon and McCartney number, isn't it? Yeah. So, well, as is, yeah, as is. Um, um, but so other things with a little help, up. yeah, which you know, up. which will come up later. Mm. Um, so I don't know, maybe they couldn't afford the Lennon and McCartney to do it Lennon and McCartney esque, although they will still have a composer's credit on that. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's very weird. It, it is very weird. But like I say, I love listening to that. It's a great song. Uh, that arrangement of of yellow submarine and it's enough to convince ogner to take place in the swap so yeah. as we leave that dance scene and they've swapped the clothes and ringo's ready to go cruising along a boulevard yes as he does so yeah um they go their separate ways um and ogner is basically left with the one bit of advice which is if anyone asks you anything just say i'm on a break and that's that's all ringo kind of prepares him with says that's what you need to say and then Ognir goes off and instantly buys a car from the jocks who were earlier harassing Ognir. Yeah, so he Ringo flashes, has gone off. Ringo's gone off as Ognir. Yeah. And seen a car he likes, full of jocks. And when they start going, hey, Ognir, don't touch the car. He's like, he just takes a big wad of cash out of his pocket. And they're like, oh, here we go. Have the car. It's, you know, you have a ride. And he, he just drives off, doesn't he, in their car. And he gets flagged down by... Carrie Fisher. Uh, well, not Carrie Fisher. He gets flagged down by his girlfriend, Marqueen. Marqueen. Played M-A-R- by... Carrie Fisher. Carrie Fisher. Marqueen. I couldn't figure out what they were saying her name is. M-A-R-Q-U-I-N-E. Marqueen. Marqueen. I've never heard that before. It kept it sounding like Mark Egan. I rounded it. You're I queenie. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Carrie Fisher, who was something of a well-known name at the time, yeah. due to Star Wars coming out the year before. Oh, so she, that was po- yeah post Star Wars. So she must have been yeah. huge. well. I guess she was huge. I'm presuming, kind of retrospectively, that Star Wars was was a big release at the time. It didn't. It yeah, I mean, cult it, following, it, it, it was very it very quickly was yeah. a big success. I think. Um, I'm sure someone would tell me otherwise, but I don't know. Uh, but you know, she's certainly well known for that. For basically redefining the role of the helpless princess yeah. in fantasy movies by by being by doing Princess Leia in such an interesting way. Mm. Um, so she's twenty two when she's making the Ringo thing, but she's essentially playing a. This is a thing I can't tell. There's a certain implication that Ogni is a young man, yeah. but he has to be the same age as Ringo because who's, they were born at the same time. And who's who's at and least Ringo's 30, thirty? Ringo's. 38 at he's this 38. point. Yeah, I was going to say, he's going to be at least 32 because one of the songs says I'm 32 and that's from I'm the Greatest. Yeah, that's because he, couldn't change the, cause he couldn't change the the words to I'm the Greatest because it ruined the rhymes. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so Carrie Fisher was probably around this time, I would imagine she was probably filming Empire Strikes Back mm. or and or Blues Brothers. Mm. You know. Which so strange thought. Um and a strange thing on a CV in between those two things. Yeah, yeah. But like, um, but then the implication is because we go into the next song here, which is You're 16, You're Beautiful and You're Mine, which we have spoken about. We in, have. In, um, as one of his singles. 
Um, so that's that. Like I say it completely throws the timeline of events out, doesn't it? Really, because unless Ogni is meant to be a thirty-eight-year-old man dating a sixteen-year-old, yeah, it's. I mean, it's. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's all yeah. They, they don't they don't think they 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 worry. They get too much Carrie about the... Fisher. They get Carrie Fisher to sing though, along with it. So she does yes. some of the middle eight, and she's got a very low voice. You're my baby. You're my pet. We fell in love on the night we met. You touched my hand. My heart pop. Ooh, when we kissed, I could not stop you. Um, which I don't know if I expected or not, really. Uh, but she's great, yeah. And the way it's portrayed is in an animated sequence. Yes, which, which is, is really yeah. good. Kind of Gillian, get Gillian. I was going to say Gillian esque, Gillian Gillian esque type of animation, isn't it? You know, kind of. Well, it's out. like it's somewhere between like Terry Gilliam and Yellow Submarine, isn't it? Yeah. And the animator was someone called Linda Taylor, who I can't find out much about it she'd done an animation for a, a comedy sketch movie called groove tube in the, the early 70s which was very much in the sort of style of that op art pop art animation cut out rotoscope type thing of the time yeah it's good it's, but, it's yeah apart from the, the slightly dubious themes and tones of it all it's it, i mean it, it comes across as just being a bit of fun in the end and and despite ringo as ognier being quite happy with the situation and having this new girlfriend he's just he's pretending to be someone else with he gets interrupted by good old Ognia's dad yeah and we, accuses him of stealing a car and drags him home away from yeah. his uh, his girlfriend so we get a bit of a couple of quick cuts here we go back to Ognia pretending to be Ringo <laughs> it yeah. doesn't work so, I'm, I'm getting see confused. this is why they got befuddled <laughs> yeah he's he's um and he's just trying to use his one line on a break to his manager, but his manager's saying, well, you've got to go into a TV chat show. Yeah, so he's saying you have to go on the Mike Douglas show. Now, Mike Douglas was an actual TV host right. of a huge, long-running chat show. Yes. So Ognir, as a normal person, finds this very overwhelming and does a comedy feint. Right into a bass drum. Yeah, And then he says, leading to the gag, ring, you all right? I'm on a break. After he's just broken the bass drum with his head. Back to yeah. Ringo being abused by Ogni's dad um, and then literally locked into his bedroom, into the bedroom, because his dad won't believe him that he's Ringo. He's trying to convince him. And he does this by doing an angry rendition of Octopus's Garden with some drumsticks on furniture. <laughs> yeah. um, and then when it doesn't work and he finds himself locked in, he switches on the TV to watch. The said, Mike Douglas show. Yeah, uh, chat show. Which I think this is this is again one of Ringo's best bits of comedy acting I've seen him doing. Yeah, uh, yeah, he's he's genuinely funny, and I'm sure, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, that the studio laughter is is actual studio laughter, like they've done this prior to a recording or something with an actual studio audience there. Come on, right over, we'll we'll sit down and visit a little bit. Oh, that's great. Yeah, right over here. It's terrific to have you here. I, I can't, I can't tell you how happy I'm really happy. Why don't you just sit down and we'll, we'll visit a little bit? Okay.
I think you've nailed it there, Gary. That's, yeah. um, so Mike Douglas was a talk show host. Well, the Mike Douglas show went on from about 1961 to 1981. This is very long running. But Ringo as Ringo appeared on it on the sev- uh, series 17, episode 143, on the 17th of April, 1978. So right. it presumably is a favour for for doing this or pre-record. I don't know. I can't, I've lost my sense of where the dates are on this. Um when do we so this is broadcast on the 26th of april hmm. so actually maybe they did film it then so maybe the day that he appeared was the day that they filmed that stuff i'd say so it makes sense yeah they must have it? done and then just cut it in yeah. essentially last minute because um, um yeah because it's, yeah. it's obvious when can laughter is reacting to the thing on there's no there's no editor alive who could have made that <laughs> at the time sound so natural where they're laughing at the, the, the right point because Ogni is he's playing Ogni completely dumbfounded isn't he he's just like yeah he, he won't let go of his hand yeah, and all that he, sort of stuff he, Sit, does the funny swapping seats wrong sequence yeah. bangs his head on the microphone on the boom mic as he's standing up and then the best bit is when he's encouraged to play the drums by Mike Douglas and again he won't let go of his hand and he's just dragged on his heels <laughs> somehow like you know the with his fixed stare, just dragged by his heels to, to um, to the drum kit, and then he, he the idea then is that he's encouraged to play a drum solo, and that he's meant to be bad. But I think feel like watching it that Ringo can't quite get the muscle memory out. So even trying to do a bad drum solo, he still sounds quite good. It sounds sounds interesting, at least. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not the way a lot of people would do. Uh, if if you didn't know how to play the drums, you sit someone behind a drum, they just hit one drum over and over again, and go dun 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 dun. Boom! Doom, doom. Yeah, yeah, Ringo's trying too hard to be bad. Yeah, and is 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 being a good drummer um, instincts kicking in. But anyway, real Ringo is watching this on the television, and he's now he's getting concerned that Ogni is ruining his reputation. So he 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 needs to get back and sort this out. So he sneaks out of the window and heads straight into the custody. By the, he gets arrested by the police, who have been called there by Ogni's dad, um, yeah. basically for the reward money for the stolen car. So he is it falls into a bit of a honey trap. Yeah. So he's, he's climbing down the, the window and there's, there's someone there and says, are you Ognir Ratsch? And he looks around and he's, he says, oh, yeah, maybe I am because it's an attractive lady. Mm. And that attractive lady is an actress called Angie Dickinson playing a character called Sergeant Suzanne Pepper Anderson. So Sergeant Pepper. Ah, uh, Except that that character isn't from this. She wasn't devised for this. There was a TV series, a police procedural series, that she was the lead character in. Right. And her character was Sergeant Suzanne Pepper Anderson. Right. So it's just a, it's a crossover, just a crossover. with that. <laughs> yeah. And oh even though she's just there to play to to, uh, to arrest arrest seconds. Ringo. Yeah. As Ognir. So yeah, she's barely there at all. So that that happens. A strange. TV but she would have been a, a famous face again because that was you know yeah. a very popular program it'd be like if morse had popped up and arrested him <laughs> <laughs> oh that'd be amazing <laughs> lewis anyway he goes back to a police station and there's a little skit where they're taking his photos in like a passport booth for his kind of mug shots and then they're arguing over whether it, which one's the best and whether he's got his eyes open on one of them or not and whilst yeah. they're arguing the two policemen ringo legs it um basically and I've noticed this today. I was watching a great film on Netflix called Nimona, which we've watched about seven 
20 times in the last week. That's the new um, uh, animated one. Yeah, it's very, very good. I'd um, highly recommend it. I, My daughter's it latched point. onto it and really loves it. And I'm, I'm, I understand oh, why. This is, a, this is part of the pathway towards adventure time in Steven Universe. This is good <laughs> stuff. Yeah, she really likes it. And it is really good. And that has a similar thing. And I'm sure it's a trope, isn't it? You get two kind of, like the two policemen in this, preoccupied by something else whilst the action continues. So they're they're still chasing yes, Ringo yeah. whilst arguing about whether he's um he's got his eyes open in one of the photos still. That yeah, happens. Yeah. And then in, in Nimona there's two guards who are arguing over whether an otter was a sea otter or a freshwater otter. And that keeps on happening in repeat like two you know, two he- henchmen type of people having a an aside. That's actually it's a trope that I think someone should go through listing and examples of. Oh yeah, there'll be lots and lots of. I think you could even include the two guards in the tower in um, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, the yes. one that hiccups and the idiot. Yeah, exactly, exactly that. Yeah. So Wait, with you, Ringo um, bumps into um, Marquise, Marquise, and um, and says we need to get out. We need to get to the Ringo concert, and uh, I need to be in disguise. And then they go through some bins and put a disguise on. Yeah, so Ringo dresses as a lady. Yes. <laughs> then we get the um then we go back to Ognir and this is one of the most bizarre bits of the whole thing, the hypnosis scene with Vincent Price playing the hypnotist. <laughs> I mean if you know anything about Vincent Price, the phrase hypnosis scene with Vincent Price doesn't sound shocking. Well but, yeah. <laughs> um he comes in as Doctor Nancy. Uh what what's your first name? That is my first name. Um and then does this bizarre click the finger, move the hand, click yeah. the finger. So this is one that cheek. doesn't land. No, this goes on too long. It's too long. They think they And found... they repeat it later. Yeah. So as he's waving his hand and saying, his manager's saying, how does it work? And he's saying, oh, it's simply a nod of the head, a click of the fingers. And as he's doing that in the background, in the Is that your best Vincent Price? Sorry? Is that your best Vincent Price? I, I thought it was all right. <laughs> Spiders. I, I, my only, I can't do an impression. I can do an impression of Dan Harmon. Is that the keyword? Spiders. Spiders. Yes. If if you've ever listened to Harmon Town, Dan Harmon does Vincent Price in raps, so he'll Price. do the the um, obligatory Vincent Price middle eight. And it's always oh, right, spiders yeah. from coffins coming from your soul. Um, yeah. So um, yeah, he's waving his hands in the background, talking to the manager, and in the foreground, ring um, Ogni is kind of head is bobbing up and down and awake it's kind of sleep awake asleep yeah but it kind of shows a fundamental misunderstanding of hypnosis doesn't it I well, think it mixed yes. up hypnosis with voodoo mr flesh i am an expert in my hands hypnosis is very simple it is merely the flick of a wrist and the snap of the fingers the turn of a hand the snap of the fingers the nod of the head the snap of the fingers the touch of the cheek yeah, uh, I think that was something that would have worked better in front of a studio audience, like a sketch. Yeah. In a variety show, you'd have got a lot of fun out of that, but it doesn't really work no. on a film or video. They don't actually edit it in a way that makes sense very well either. So I, I also mm. wonder if there's just a, we just have a fundamentally better idea of what hypnosis is now. So that, that joke's like, well, that doesn't make sense. Hypnosis is a series of, you know, bringing down your cognitive state via kind of breathing and suggestion oh, it's not clicking nerd if vincent price walks in and clicks his fingers you go to sleep not with i wasn't looking at him though i not even no, aware no, this no. is going yeah. on anyway anyway so 
He it gets does hip- result in him being in, in a trance anyway. Yeah, and he gets hypnotised in order to become to be, believe he's Ringo because his manager's worried that Ring, he st- the manager still thinks he's Ringo, but he doesn't know who he is. He's having a breakdown, so he convinces him of his Ringo ness by putting him in a trance where he has to meet people in a hall of fame, and they represent this by the song with a little help from my friends. Yeah, which again is a new kind of version isn't it um which takes place in this tunnel of lights and fog and these really weird strange echo effects yeah um which i i've got an instinct that at this point what they would have ideally wanted to do is have the beatles in that room in that sequence yeah i mean partly as well because i was just reading about this in the book um, ringo with a little help by michael seth star uh no relation and he was talking to, uh, he's got quotes from the director who basically says, uh, oh, we went over to Ringo's house to discuss the project. We went over to Ringo's house in LA and he got there and he's like ushered through to the, it's like, oh, Ringo's in the music room. Do you want to come through? And he goes through and Ringo's there, but so's John, Paul and George. Right. Um, and he's like, what? what? So you get the feeling that they would have tried to have encouraged the others into it. And if you're going to have with a little help from my friends. Yeah. That would have made. Um, I bet you there was a moment that director was like, "I'm getting the Beatles back together." Um, You're you're getting some cardboard cutouts of Elvis, Roy Orbison. All right, come on, name them. How many can you name? Uh, These. um, Well, there's Elvis, there's Roy Orbison, there's Chuck Berry. There definitely is. Yeah. Um, There's Buddy Holly. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's. I can't think there's one person I'm not sure. There's not Johnny Cash, is there? No. I don't know who else. Can't remember. There's Jerry Lee Lewis as well. Uh, Jerry Lee Lewis, yeah. And then the other two who I would say well, they are famous, but perhaps less known for their look. Uh, certainly these days, Hank Williams and Johnny Ray. Hank Williams, of course, yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, so that again is that's reminiscent a little bit of Yellow Submarine. This idea of like pop icons, you know, cultural figures as cutouts, as sort of images around. So. Mm. Yeah, so he's sort of walking around them, and they're inter- the, the sound of their songs are sort of interrupting this version of With a Little Help yeah, from My Friends, making it's... it more or less unlistenable. Really badly audio mixed, isn't it? They just With yeah, a Little yeah. from My Hands, just Friends, just fades into. Well, it doesn't fade. It kind of builds into echo, so it's just a cacophony, and then from it you start getting, then you start getting all that stuff mixing over the top of it, and then it goes back to a little help from a friend, and he's like, "Oh, right, I thought that was the end of it, but there's actually, yeah, they're trying to kind of use that as the middle section, yeah." And then he goes back to his tunnel of light, and he wakes up, and he's like, "Yeah, I am Ringo. I'm Ringo. That's fine. Everything's I am all right. Ringo. Yeah, I am Ringo." So, convinced of his Ringo-ness, we come full circle back to George at his press conference where... So, we've been in a flashback and now we're back up to now. And yes, now being George, George Harrison's press conference, which is just before Ringo's concert in the evening. And what you told me earlier, when someone says, you don't expect us to believe all this, do you? And George says, I'm, uh, says the, I'm a musician, I'm not Mark Twain. That yeah. now makes sense because of the... Um, Prince and the Prince Pauper. Pauper. Yeah. So... Good evening and enjoy the concert. So George has just stood in front of the, the press, yeah. told this ridiculously long story about the circumstances of Ringo's uh, current state, claiming that the person they're about to go and see on stage isn't, isn't Ringo. Isn't Ringo, yeah. 
He's, uh, he's also brought visual aids to demonstrate it and all that sort of stuff. And, and there's and no reason... he's like, no, enjoy the concert, bye. Yeah, and there's no reason for him to know any of this other than... I suppose, no, because yeah. he talked to Ringo on the phone, didn't he? Ringo always calls collect. Yeah. Also, George is looking extremely plastic in... on. I don't know something about the... Again, the way it's lit, it, certainly. The again, and the, yeah, and the quality of how it looks to us now, I yeah. think, as well. It's very strange. He looks a, a bit like Max Headroom. <laughs> is that so the Max right Headroom name? Ringo Broadcast yeah. Intrusion? Um, anyway, so George does that. Um, and then we get to our kind of finale almost, which is that we're back to the concert and Ogneer goes on stage after being told by his man, he's still saying, I am Ringo, I am Ringo, and his man is saying, yes, you are, go and do what you do best. And that last instruction is a bit of a kiss of death, isn't it? Because Ognia goes on stage, or at least he goes near the stage, doesn't go on the stage, and parades around with a Maps to the Stars Yay, sandwich board great on. joke! Because that's the whole gag. <laughs> that's basically... <laughs> the entire show has been building up to, <laughs> to that, that joke. Gag, that you're like, oh, oh I see he's, he's done that. Um, but he doesn't even do it on the stage. They do it in front of the stage, you know. Yeah, it's a strange kind of angled shot where you think. I don't know if that's because it quite obviously wouldn't be the stage that that they're about to then do the show on, and they had to film it at a different time. Probably, probably, it might even be in the front of like the um, Mike Douglas audience, yeah, or something like that. Um, but of course, this buys Ringo and Marqueen time to turn up backstage and reveal themselves. Yes from their costume, which was a bit of an unnecessary detail of the costume. I don't know if there was something cut. Yeah, that, that given was... that at no point did we see him, the costume, a- adding any benefit no, or any to him, that, or helping him escape or anything like that. It's just literally, he, one scene he's dressing as a woman, and the next scene he's arriving as a woman. Uh, so... There's one line, isn't it, where the manager says, nice outfit, and he says, or, or get out of that outfit, he says, what, too much for you, or too, too hot for you, or something like that. I can't remember what the line is. Um, it doesn't feel like enough to justify it. Um, yeah, and the real ringer turns up, and there's a bit more of that not very good Vincent Price hypnosis again. That they try it again. <laughs> it's like they yeah. went, I don't think we Click nailed it the, the first time, or actually, I think what they thought was we nailed this the first time. Let's do a bit more. They'll love that. They'll love a bit more of the Vincent Price. It's just a turn of the wrist. It's just a flick of the hand kind of thing. Um, with Ringo all kind of nodding around. Um. But they quickly nip that in the bud. And then um, in a kind of Shakespearean (laughs) type of wrapping up of everything. Oh, it's the problem play, isn't it? Yeah, Ringo's like, Ogneer, do you want to become my tour manager? You're good with maps. Ogneer, I've got a job for you. How would you like to come on tour with me? Well, since you know such a lot about maps, you could be my road manager. Thanks, Ring. Are we ready? Yeah! Let's go! Kill them, Ringo! They love you! Go get them! <laughs> so everybody's happy, and Carrie Fisher is with Ogneer again, and Ringo's like, "Right, off I go on to stage," and that's basically the end of the story bit. And we just get a concert, don't we? For the we last get literally, we actually get a live performance of two songs, yeah, from the Bad Boy album. So he goes out on this insane pyramid set, isn't it? Um, and he's yeah. up on a drum riser, singing and playing with with his band from that album. Which is essentially, uh, I'm going to list up here. You've got um, Dean Murray, Dr. John, Lon Van Eaton, uh, and Jimmy Webb as well, who's the musical uh, director for it. Mm. Jimmy Webb of Wichita Lineman writing fame. Okay. And so they do Heart on My Sleeve and Hard Times from 
the bad boy record to an actual invited audience of 500 people. Yeah, you can tell it's a proper concert with the proper energy of a concert. And and I'd say if if this is worth anything, it's actually the look on Ringo's face in those sequences. He's happy, isn't he? He's so happy playing, and, and he hadn't been doing that. He hadn't really played live in front of people since, I think, the concert for Bangladesh, possibly. Right. Um. So it had been a good long while, and it's... Um, yeah, it's just nice when you see him so, you know, genuinely having a good time. Yeah. Apparently they did it twice, and the first time they were like, sort of, it was sort of so new, it was quite frantic and a bit too much. Mm. And the second time they sort of settled down into it. Um, And then depending on which version you watch on YouTube, that actually that ends properly with a separate sequence where Ringo just comes on and stands on a star in a spotlight singing oh. the song A Man Like Me. Oh, I didn't see that version, so... I yeah, that so the, that's cut off some of the versions that are on YouTube. Oh, okay. So, and then it's the credits. So we get, yeah, we get Heart My Sleeve, which we talked about, didn't we? Uh, which yeah. I, I still think is good. I think I liked yeah. it when we talked about it. I think it's a good song. It suits him. It's a good one for his his repertoire. I know it's a cover. And then we have Hard Times, is it called? The Hard Times, yeah. That's a good rocker. I'd not heard that one, I don't think. Yeah, a bit of a rocky R and B type of song, and it has a bit of a blues brothers he feels to it. Yeah, it's just, it's got a bit of that sort of uh, Doctor John swampiness as well. Yeah. That you get. And it's a good, like I say, mad pyramid stage type of thing. A stage it looks like. I suspect stick. a lot of money went on that. Yeah. Of this potential five hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, and then that's that. Like, um, yeah, yeah, that's you kind of left kind of thinking i mean i'd encourage anyone who hasn't watched it to, to watch it um because it's it's really hard to kind of believe it exists until you've sat and watched it and then you go yeah i mean really i really enjoyed it but it's a strange it seems it's got this weird it seems so weirdly cheap and kind of naff yet ambitious and obviously not cheap from what you've yeah, said Yeah, i think ambition is definitely the the thing they decided not like i say not to do this Oh, who's at the door? Yeah, you know, type type uh, thing, and so I mean, just some of the other bits and bobs from the production. So mm-hmm. directed, like I say, by Jeff Margolis. Right, the writers were, oh, so yeah, Jeff Margolis. The main thing that he did in his career was direct award shows for telly. Right, that he spent decades doing, like you know, such and such annual primetime TV awards. The writers were Neil Israel and Pat Proft who went on to write the first Police Academy film. Okay. And uh, Proft was one of the writers, I think probably the main writer, possibly on the Naked Gun films and most of the scary movie uh, films. Okay, okay. Well, you get, and you can, you you can, can get see it, yeah. hints of it. Yeah, you see him developing his craft. Yes. And maybe yeah, not under as kind of a intense, uh, well, not an intense, but maybe not in such a... This has the feeling of a big extended skit, doesn't it? Where yeah, yeah. if you were doing this for a proper cinematic release, full-length feature film, there may have been a lot more refinement, rewriting, you yeah. know, a few more blue sheets or whatever, you know, like, whatever. I don't know if I've got that right, but, you know, the redrafts and things, where this is a bit more like, we've get something down, we've got to get it done yeah. type of... It doesn't matter Although, by all accounts, it, they did it as professionally as possible and everyone learned lines. There was none of this Ringo turning up, get it on a cue card type stuff. Yeah. It was it was all learned. Um, other people that you see in this, I mean, you see a guy called Keith Allison, who was a musician and friend of Ringo's, who was involved with a lot of his stuff. Um, he plays the recording engineer in it. And 
He used to be in uh, Paul Revere and the Raiders, a band at the time. Uh, but the same, this is the same year that he does the composition of the music for the film Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, the Bee Gees Monstrosity. Bee Gees, well, yes, I've never seen. Oh, no, that might be a special. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, there's a couple of other names listed in the cast, and I can't quite tell, thanks to the terrible quality of the YouTube um, versions. One of the names is um, Greg Evigan, who was from My Two Dads. Right. Uh, who I know mainly remember that name because that was mentioned in, um, was it Fist of Fun or one of the Leon Herrings where it used, used to cut away to when things get knocked, tipped and fall out of cupboards or whatever it was. Right. Um, was it that or was that This Morning with Richard, not Judy? I can't remember. But I'm Greg Evigan. He's in it. And one of the other cast members, and I suspect he's probably playing one of the policemen maybe, is Peter Cullen. Uh, Optimus Prime. Optimus Prime himself. <laughs> Finally. So, but it doesn't actually say who they are, and it's very hard yeah. to tell on this, whether they're just background people. And somewhere in it as well, again, I can't quite pin it down, is uh, an actress called Lois January, who was like golden age Hollywood star. Mm. So she's quite old at this point as well. Um, yeah. So there you go. It's... It's... Yeah. It's And as far as I could tell, it was sort of received... All right, hmm. in the certainly in the American press. I mean, it wasn't, it didn't blow anyone away. But like, there's a review of it in um, the Hollywood Reporter saying uh, it plays like a charm. Hmm. His obligatory guest stars are also handled neatly, uh, rather than cameos of no consequence. They're integrated in the storyline, inventive direction, uh, dual frame of present reality and atmospheric fantasy that ranges from striking to very clever. You know that scale. It goes from striking to very clever. Um, yeah, what else was it there as well? There was... Um, yeah, that sort of thing, basically. Yeah. And then there was other ones saying, yeah, it's it's not bad, but it's not yeah. it's not brilliant. It's not going to be reissued in 43... Through two, whatever it is. 43 years' time in <laughs> any time Get it soon. out in 4K, yeah. streaming, UHD... But then we have this with all of Ringo's legacy, don't we? Considering he's the last, you know, one of the last two remaining Beatles. And yeah, been... well, this is part of that lump of time which has sort of been kind of written out of his... But the whole Ringo in the UK, I mean, as UK people, English people, as English people, <laughs> we, we don't get much Ringo love in this country because he doesn't live here and we don't get no. his shows, so we don't get his... He doesn't appear on TV here. He's very rarely over here. He doesn't. He's not been part of our culture since the Beatles and popping back up in the anthology years. And you know what I mean? He's not. Yeah. We don't get his few and far between albums. He's not obviously. He's not got the the um, maybe this obviously has not got the same kind of platform as McCartney has with the songs writing and everything. But just all of his catalog, and everything is just. There's something about yeah. And he's obviously still commands a massive audience and respect, especially over the pond, doesn't he? But yeah, yeah, just don't, yeah. Something like this is just languishing on YouTube as a strange thing that I imagine. Come on, Ringo, come and do a tour of cinemas presenting this. Yeah, clean <laughs> up. Do like a Q&A at the end of each one. Yeah, that's what we want. That's what we want. Because it was worth a watch and I'd encourage anyone to watch it. I'd been quite happy, really, if they'd have just spent the money on him doing more of his show, though, because I enjoyed the show at the end the most, really, the two songs. Um, yeah. 
But yeah. he's a funny guy, and he he has some moments in it. I just think like this: the the, the ambition is sometimes a bit outstripped by reality. But um, yeah, it, yeah. So before we finish, would you like to know what was on on the same day when it was shown in the UK on uh, the second okay. of January, nineteen eighty three? Yeah. So obviously, second of January, nineteen eighty three. This is a, I think it was just probably a Sunday just before everyone had gone back to work. Okay. In the new year in nineteen eighty three. Yeah, strange. So right, we you know we may have got up in the morning and put BBC One on to watch Bagpuss at nine o'clock, for example. Uh, but if we'd have been watching Channel Four, which had only been going a year at this point, right? Um, yes, because it was launched around the time I was born. Yeah, um, we would have perhaps sat and watched the Rose Bowl, well, American football. I mean, we wouldn't really, have, but you know, people would have. Mm. Um, and then Ringo would have popped up at 7pm on Channel 4. And it's Ringo Starr meets Mark Twain, a pop version of The Prince and the Pauper in which superstar Ringo changes places with a lookalike fan. Also with George Harrison, Vincent Price, Carrie Fisher, Angie Dickinson. And it was repeated... Uh, no, it wasn't actually. That's just the Welsh listings. It was on in Wales at a different time. Right. Uh, and if you weren't watching that, you might have been watching a film called Sunburn on ITV. Uh, slack, inept, barely intelligible comedy thriller set in Acapulco where Farrah Fawcett and Charles Grodin investigate insurance fraud and murder with Joan Collins among the tedious suspects. Uh, <laughs> makes Charlie's Angels look like the third man. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice that. bit of a um, balanced, uh, yeah, balanced listings. Reviewing. Yeah. Or you might have been watching on BBC Two... Um, the first part of Henry VI, the BBC television Shakespeare series, launches into the grand savage pageant, the four-play cycle, which... Nah, 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 nah. On BBC One, you would have been watching Songs of Praise, so it was a Sunday then, Maybe followed by Heidi High. Yeah, that's probably what we, we would that have That would have been on in our... One would have had Songs of Praise on, and then we used yeah, to watch Heidi High. I mean, I can't yeah. remember when it was. I don't think we would have been allowed to stay up to watch what was on after it, which was The Towering Inferno, which is very much <laughs> a uh, end-of-the-holidays film. Yes, well, why not? Why um, not end it's your brilliant, holidays? the Towering Inferno. Yeah, I've seen it. I, I've seen it, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's great. So, you yeah, know, that's what the UK was like. I and, mean, you know, you might have also been watching 633 Squadron on that day. That's another big holiday film. Monte Carlo or Bust. I like that. Um, right. Yeah, all that sort of mad stuff. World Darts, Embassy World Professional Championship. Great days for smoking sponsored sports. Well, then. I think we should leave it there, Paul. Um, How many Ringos are you going to give it out of 100 Ringos? Uh, I mean... You need to give it some sort of sorting rating. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Uh, I'll give it 72 Ogniers out of, oh, 100, right, out of 100 Ringos. Whatever That's... that means. <laughs> and um, Fair enough. But, uh, yeah. Fun. I'm glad it exists. Um if you tell me that George did something like this, and I, 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 the next thing I want to know is, is whether we get to see Paul's animated mice and wings, and um, yeah, we'll have to think what the next oddity is. There must be more, I take it. Oh, there's plenty of weird things we can dig out, and if anyone wants to suggest anything they think we should watch or or listen to, something we can do, yeah, in a sort of compact format like this, then. Uh, do Please do, up. yeah, yeah. Because we've got um, play your pipes of piping. Because we've got, uh, yeah, we're going to try and put one out every month or so until the next series. Because it's going to be a little while to the next series, so it'll give us something to do every now and again. Yeah, it? yeah. It's nice to be back. Nice to yeah. be back. 
So, well, at that then, thank you again for joining us, and we will see you at some point soon. A goodbye. And a million Ringos to you all. Thank you, and good night. Ringo's roadside attraction was Keith Allison, Dee Murray, Mac Rabinac, Dr. John, and Lon Van Eaton. Also appearing on tonight's show were Jaime Rogers, Hank Jones, Peter Cullen, Steve DeJarnett, Greg Avagar, Lois January, and Michael Payne. Dialogue coach, Seymour Cassell. <laughs>